the legendary voice of the New York Yankees. Please welcome an honor to have on my show, Mr. John Sterling. Wow. <laughs> Thank you, one and all. <laughs> Hello, Daniel. What a what a great pleasure to have you on the show. You know, I I, I got all prepared. I started reading about where you went to school and what went But what I got what I got really intrigued by was the whole Steinbrenner connection. And it's, when I first met you, the one time I ever spent any time with you, I don't know if you remember, this was quite some time ago, was I was having lunch with George and I met, and I met you at the stadium. Um, but but I, I love that loyalty, the story that I read about how George said, no matter what, because you had stuck up for him. Right. Yeah. You stuck up for the old man. I, and, did, I don't know how you heard that story. He was, I, he was getting a lot of heat in the press. Right. right. And he was going to go through that little suspension or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you got his back on the radio. And he, you know, he was that kind of guy. He never forgot that, John. Yeah. Well, wh- what happened was, uh, I mentioned on the year, it was a Sunday afternoon and he and whoever the general manager was at the time <laughs> kept getting killed in the new york the yankees had a lousy team well, i joined them in 89 mm-hmm. and so this is one of those years 89 90 91 and um and i went on the air and said you know uh, it's amazing how he and let's say it was bob quinn mm-hmm. and they get knocked um the, the pitchers are the ones who don't pitch the hitters are the ones who don't hit they ought to knock them and then a couple of nights later, there was a rain delay in Milwaukee. And I'm walking around in this old crummy stadium. And they didn't have beautiful booths or all or private. He was visiting the former commissioner who owned the team at the time. Yeah, Bud Selig. Right, I remember. And and he was a friend of Selig's. And anyway, so I'm walking around because we're in a rain delay and we sent it back to the station. And um, George saw me walking past his door where he was sitting in this little booth. And he just said to me... Uh, I just want to tell you, John, you'll always be the Yankee announcer. And if they try to hire someone else, I'll veto it. Because the radio station had the the rights. Right, so, right, right. And he was very good to me. Yeah, he was a good guy. You know, I I look at some of the things that are going on in the organization. Lately, just recently, there's a bit of a, a bit of a falling out between Gossage and Cashman and and that's made the press and everything. George never would have let that kind of stuff, you know, he if he was involved in the in, in the stuff, him and Billy and him and the different guys that had their runs, but uh uh I'm sad to see the thing about Cashman and and, and Gossage. I mean, if Goose could keep his mouth shut a little bit, but he is a he's a Yankee legend. He you know, it would be nice to see him with the young pitchers and still being a part of the team. It doesn't look like that's going to happen though. Well, I don't think anytime soon. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like Now, you know, this all started, uh, uh, Daniel, a few years ago. You know, Goose, he, he just has opinions, and they're not the opinions that are shared by a lot of people in the organization. Right. But he's just giving his opinions, and um, and he wasn't invited to spring training. That's what, because he wasn't invited to spring training because of what he's done the past couple of years, the things he said the past couple of years, and... First of all, anything that happens with the Yankees becomes news. They can't wait. Yeah, they're and, ravenous down there. Oh boy, no doubt about it. I got to ask you. So I was going through a bunch of you know, and, and being a Yankee fan, and I had to endure all of my brothers, including Billy, who you know very well. For this, this upstart team comes in in the in the sixties, while my Yankees, after the Mickey Mantle era, were terrible. 
and I had to live growing up as an, as a very young man with a team that didn't didn't do well. And then the New York area gets a team in Queens called the Mets, and in a very short amount of time, they get a guy named Tom Seaver. And uh, you know, all all the rest is history. In 1969, you got to believe. You gotta, and of course, we called the Mets the Dandelions because they bloom in the spring and they die in the fall. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I stayed a Yankee fan while I watched everyone in my family jump ship. Now, of course, they're all back to being Yankee fans, but they did jump ship. When I look at what you do, John, and the number of years, I think that the uh, um, the ability to take uh, baseball, unlike any other sport. Uh, has uh, for a team sport, has, it's a real long season, and so when you're in those months that they call them the dog days of summer, and you're and you you're not sure you're, you're still in the hunt, but it's really not going to be determined, and everyone knows it for another six weeks, because uh, you're going to stay with Boston. How do you keep it interesting for yourself? How do you keep it so fresh? And you know, I mean, that's got to be hard doing that many games every year like that. Yeah, I, I don't find it hard, but I'll give you a very good answer from Lindsey Nelson, who was mm, you know then Lindsay. the Mets broadcaster, and when the, you know the Mets came in for X number of years, they're losing a hundred games a year, and a guy asked Lindsey, uh, you know, how do you, how do you do it? How do you sustain interest? And Lindsey Nelson had a great lineup, never forgotten. He said, you make the game that day important. Hmm. Because, by the way, when, you're, when you have a lousy baseball team, and I did some years with the Braves, and then I told you about the beginning with the Yankees, and you're 20 games out on August 3rd, and you still have about 60 games to go, <laughs> you know you're not going anywhere. You have to make the game. And people are listening to that game. You know, Demaz said uh, he played as hard as he could because that might be the one day that that person saw him play. Mm-hmm. And it, it certainly is true in, in uh, Humphrey. I just read a Sinatra book, a great Sinatra book, and Bogart said to him, you only owe the audience a good performance. So anyway, I, when did I Did you know the, Frank? No, I'm my hero. God, I mm-hmm. wish I did. I know everything about him, especially yeah. after I've read these two books that are like two 800-page books. They tell everything, every story, every conversation. Um, but I don't, I don't honestly, um, Daniel, I don't really find that to be a problem. I go, they open the mic, and I, I go as hard as I can. I don't want to sound lousy. I do plenty of times, but I don't want to. I want to give my best all the time. That's easy. You know, it's interesting you would say that because – there are days, and Josh does the most popular show here in Syracuse in the morning, so, and he has a lot more radio experience, as do you. Paulie's a producer, been around a long time. I'm a movie actor and a TV actor, so I'm, I'm, I'm relatively new to the game of playing it right in front of a microphone. And, and so there are days when you're just better than others, you know, and, and, and you're hot and you're not. Do you know when you're not hot? Well, I know if I make mistakes, and right. I do, and... Um... You know, there's some sometimes you just can't, you know, get with it and do it. I hope I sound okay all the time. I try. Yeah, I I, I go. I can tell on the drive home because <laughs> it's a it's a I, I kind of regurgitate and then digest it again a little bit. What happened? I go. Wow, that was a great show today. Or I, or I kind of if I don't have anything to really smile about it during that regurgitation and that and that thinking about it again, then I know it wasn't anything special on the show. You know, and and you have days where it's just not going to be. Some stupendous thing or anything great. Absolutely. Today will not be one of those days having you as our guest, my friend. No, I love this. <laughs> oh, we're coming Sitting down. Sitting and schmoozing. We're coming, we're, coming, we're coming down the booth. Uh, we've got to ask you a question about the, the current Yankee 
team, right? You got Aaron Boone coming in, new manager. How how has the city reacted to him coming in as a manager with no experience? And uh, there's a lot of expectations and weight on his shoulder for a first year manager. Well, there sure is because of how the Yankees finished last year, and then getting uh, Giancarlo Stanton along with all the other sluggers they have. It promises to be a terrific Yankee year, but they have to do it on the field. They can't do it on paper. Well, there's a honeymoon period, and and in New York, there's a little bit of a honeymoon period for Boone and for Mickey Calloway with the Mets and with Pat Shermer of the Giants. And the minute they lose the game, that'll be the end of the honeymoon period. So. <laughs> and you said they had a great year last year. It's still a really young team. Oh, do you, my. Do you think maybe they've got the bar set a little bit too high going into this year? or can well, they... I mean, if, you're, if you're a team as good as the Yanks, and if you're in New York, the bar is always set high. In fact, I, I laugh about it. You know, you read the – they're only writing for that day, so they want to write the best. The Knicks win a game, championship. They lose a game, they're the worst team has ever – and the same is true for all the teams in New York. I mean, I'm sorry. that's. But you really want that passion. You really want people to be that involved. So, you know, you can't have one without the other. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. So if you have people who love it, and they're passionate, and they're filling the stadium, and the Yankees do very well, thank you. And you lose, you're going to get knocked. And I'm going to get knocked. I mean, that's how the business is. You know, I think one of the things that I've, I've now that I've had a chance to travel around so much in my life, that as a child I didn't realize as much, was when you're in Boston, New York, Philly. In particular, I'm going to say those three cities. Mm-hmm. They're the most knowledgeable fans, too, though. I mean, the average guy's, yeah, he bet at 243 last year and he had 50 RBIs. But I'll tell you what, against left-handers, mm-hmm. and you're looking at the guy going, and this is like, you know, Mickey the Deli guy. You, yeah, know? Right, and, right. you know, people really know their stuff about what's going on when they're Yankee fans in that city. And I think a lot of pressure comes from that. They understand, you know, what it means to have an on-base percentage versus having, you know, I remember some guy was talking to me, uh, uh, they, it was like a trivia show. Uh, uh, what was it? It was. It was. It, it was. Um, oh, I can't think of it. Hollywood Squares. I was doing Hollywood Squares years ago, and he, you know, he rattled off like ten things about you know Henderson having the all-time leadoff home runs and this. And he's just going. I go, where are you from? He goes, Well, I used to live in New York. And I said, Just from living in New York, like you want to be? He goes, Nah, you know, I'm a big Yankee fan. About Yankee fans know a lot of stuff. Is that, is is your Yankee IQ? Uh, an asset for you doing what you do? I would imagine it would be. Well, when I was a little boy, um, I fell in love with sports and music. And, and in fact, the all show business. And I I knew everyone, everything, everyone. I mean, it was my, I wanted to. And so if I like something, I pour myself into it. And if I don't like something, I don't bother with it. Now, I've never heard 10 consecutive seconds of rap you know, I I like Sinatra and and Ella and Tony Bennett and Yada. Or you could name all the others. So we have to hurry up. We're getting a hurry up signal. So John, shut how dare, up. How dare? How dare? He? I wasn't doing it to him. How dare saying. he? I'm going to end with a very quick story. It's going to go over two minutes Good. because I know that having the honor of having this legend in our room, he deserves to hear this story. Okay. So I'm playing the back nine at Barton Creek Country Club in Texas. And uh, I'm playing behind Michael Jordan and Charles Barkley in the Celebrity Golf uh, Invitational right, or something, right. something. And I'm playing with a guy named uh, Tom Dreesen. Oh. Now, Tom, who was probably mentioned in, in a number of these books that you're reading, opened for Sinatra. Right. So we're on, we're on 14, 
and there's a sea of 5,000 people in front of us. We have to wait for them all to clear because they're all chasing Barker, and there's like nine guys following us. You know, not that many people watch my show, I guess, <laughs> and no one knew who Tom was. But this guy's got, remember the hat McLean Stevens wore in MASH with the fish, fish hooks in right, it? Right, right. He's got this hat on with these big glasses, and about 20 yards behind him is this gigantic mammoth guy walking really slow. And I noticed the guy with the McLean Stevens fish hat on is walking inside the tie-ups where you're not allowed the fans on. He's on the course, and Dreesen keeps talking to him. So we get onto the green of 14, and I look back at him, and I go, is there any chance? I can't be, right? It's Sinatra. Oh. And so I'm looking at him. He's come out. He happened to be in Texas, and he knew Tom that well oh. that he came out to say hi to Tom and watch him for a couple of holes. So I've been clocking this guy for for a couple of holes up to this point. So I toss my putter out after I put out. Tom starts to walk. The walk between 14 and 15 is quite a long walk. You go over a bridge, cross a road, and I walk over to him and I said, "Excuse me, sir, but uh, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you can make a lifelong dream of mine come true right now." And he takes the glasses off and shirt off at Sinatra. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, kid. Let's say I was in the mood to make lifelong dreams come true. What would that be? And I said, of course, by the walk from 14 to 15, you would sing a song with me. (laughs) And he looked at me and he said, oh, yeah? Well, let me ask you something, Mr. Baldwin. If I was in the mood to make lifelong dreams come true and sing a song with you, what song would that be? And I said, why, witchcraft, of course. And he went, good choice. Those fingers, and he starts singing witchcraft for me. And I walked between 14 and 15 on Barton Creek, and I sang start to finish all of witchcraft with Frank Sinatra. Pretty good. Pretty good. Hey, now! (laughs) I knew you'd like that. Fantastic. Yeah. Great, great, great day. Great story. I, I got to say, you know, I I was lucky enough to see John and, uh, and Susan be inducted into the New York State Broadcasters Hall of Fame. And uh, that was uh, just a fantastic uh, honor. And, And you as a broadcaster, as just a radio nerd. I've loved it. I'm a big fan, and being able to fill those four-hour games where sometimes they're a little slow, just having that personality, it's, it's, it's a great ability, and I just uh, am honored to have you here today. Well, it's, it's just a voice that we've, we've grown as men, you know, into, into my you know, late 50s now, to count on. You know, I count on you to tell me the story when I'm out at the stadium, and you do such a, a beautiful job of it, John. Thank well, I'm going to do my best, okay? You do a John, great job. John, I'll tell you something. These guys have never complimented anybody in this building before. So. <laughs> no. <it's laughs> so, so, I'm sorry, John. Did you hear a voice? Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Thank you, fun. Those fingers in my hair, yeah. that's like oh, come hither stare, that, that strips, strips my conscience, conscience bare, it's, it's witchcraft. witchcraft.